Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Get all situated. Thank you so much for creating that beautiful worship space and words to ground us. God is with us. That's where we're going to go this morning, actually. So thank you for that. Um, my name is Lindsay. This is Scott. We um, have been friends of Water's Edge since the beginning and former co-workers with Andy. And just so great to be with you. Um, we live down by San Diego State, down south a bit. Uh, we have two teenagers, one here, Hunter and Piper, who's not with us in this room this morning. And we have a dog named Coco. And yes, yes, dog, animal lovers. And what else, Scott? Uh, you probably know me as Andy's assistant, which I'm fine with that title. But uh, I have a new title. He gave me a raise. I'm also his global trip attache. And so uh, we had a chance to go to Israel, and I carried his bags, that sort of thing. But I got to go to Israel, so it was worth it. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, today's Father's Day, and we, we honor, acknowledge those um, in our midst who have not only fathers, but spiritual mentors, right? And tomorrow is Juneteenth, Freedom Day, a federal holiday. And um, yeah. yeah, and I think for Christians especially, um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And mm -hmm. so tomorrow marks this day where not only the war was over, but all peoples were free, right? And that is the gospel where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom for all peoples. Because if there's not freedom for everyone, it's not really freedom. Mm -hmm. And God wants us all to be free mm -hmm. in every aspect of life. And so... I just want to pay attention to that and recognize that. Yeah, great. Um, so I'm curious, has there ever been a moment in your life, have you ever, I think is the question, yeah, have you ever needed some care? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> have you ever felt alone or a little insecure, a little fearful? Has there ever been a time in your life where you were in search of some peace or some rest or some belonging? Have you ever felt lost geographically? My son Hunter's learning how to drive. and uh, <laughs> He's doing amazing, though. He's doing, doing a great amazing. job. Um, there'll probably be a time when you get lost, right, Hunter? Um, every time you felt lost geographically, spiritually, in your life stage or in your life season, in relationships. Um, a couple months ago, I was uh, walking our dog, Coco, at 6.30 in the morning. And um, a gentleman, older gentleman, came out um, behind this house. And, and we found each other on the same sidewalk and encountered him. And, and he asked me, he said, do you know where the Wells Fargo Bank is? And I said, at 6.30 in the morning, he's asked me for the Wells Fargo Bank. And I'm like, there's no Wells Fargo Bank anywhere close, you know. And I was super confused. Uh, there's an ATM nearby, but not, not a bank. And so I was trying to discern, you know, is this a safe situation for me? What's the status, right? 6.30, I'm all alone. And he looked a little disheveled, but I don't, I didn't think he was like homeless. So... Um, as the conversation evolved, I actually started to wonder, you know, I wonder if he has, like, dementia or Alzheimer's. And I thought, huh, maybe he lives at this home or maybe there's a back home to this home. So I bravely at 6.30 in the morning knocked on this neighbor's door that I didn't know of. And I kind of stood there as, and I could see the person's peeking at me going, who is this person knocking at my door? And um, they opened the door. I said, hi, 
excuse me, good morning. Um, there's a gentleman on your line. Just didn't know if he's a family member, you know. And he's like, no, that's not, that's not my family member. And, and he, said, um, he said, well, let me make a call. And I said, okay. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I think he was making a call to the authorities, you know. And um, I, 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 I said, well, this is all I can do. I need to go to my job. And, but I think he has it under control. This neighbor has it under control. But as I walked away from the house, I just had a sense that, um, I just had a sense that uh, this man, whose name was Paul, wasn't, he, he wasn't that he didn't have a home. Um, it was a man who had lost his way. Does that make sense? It wasn't that he didn't have a home. It was a man who had lost his way. And so, although I left the situation, I circled back only to see another neighbor neighbor who had kind of entered in the picture somehow. And this neighbor had this elderly gentleman, arm in arm, walking him across the street, asking him some questions, you know, where's your family and those types of things. And I, I gave a thumbs up to this other neighbor. I was like, oh, good. I'm so glad you have him in your care. So glad someone has this older gentleman in their care and keeping. And um, I just thought, wow, what a tender picture of a modern-day good shepherd, right? Of a modern-day good shepherd coming along someone who needed some protection and some provision, some care um, in the midst of maybe feeling a little lost. And so Psalm 23 is our our passage for today, and it paints us a picture about what it's like to be in the care and keeping of the good shepherd, And it begs the question, you know, where or what or who do we go to when we feel lost or afraid? Where or what or who do we go to to find security? What gets in the way of trusting God? Um, I'm excited to see what we're going to explore and what we're going to discover today as we sit in this passage. Yeah. And then do we have readers? Oh, yes, we do. Yes, Yes, we do. By the way, really good to see you all. I, I follow Water's Ed's Instagram is it at Water's Edge? I'm not huge on Instagram. Didn't you all have a, your child last week? Two weeks, Two weeks ago. Bless the fact you. that you're here is, you. is amazing. <laughs> I just, he's a little bit older. But he'll be driving here on his own one day, but we just remember that time in our lives when if you can get out of the house and somewhere, that's the win. Everything else is gravy. Way to go. I just had to say that because I felt like it was really soon. We're happy. Obviously, it's wonderful to have a new member of the Water's Edge family, too. Go That's ahead. Great. I digress. I digress. That's great. That's great. Yes. Um, I'm going to invite Greg and Alicia to come on up. They're going to read our scripture. They're going to read Psalm 23 for us. And just confessionally, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I walk into church and the scripture is read, although my body is in the room, my brain isn't quite yet present. And so I'm going to have them read this passage twice to help us kind of really settle down in this space together in these words. All right? Thanks. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen and amen. Curious um, if anyone would be willing to share, is there anything as that passage was read that st stood out to you? Anyone be, offer, be willing to offer that? <laughs> Yes. Shepherd. Shepherd, that stood out to you. Yeah, yeah great. It's about a life when you're running from uh, like Jezebel and, and that God made like told him to eat. It's like he's sometimes he forces us to rest. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Sometimes he forces us to rest. So that's standing out. Yeah. Yes. Still water. Still water. Mm -hmm. are still here in this passage. Great. Any other th any noticings? Yeah. Mm, it's great. It's great. Yes. Yeah. No fear. Yeah. Great. Yes. Yeah. I lack nothing. Great. Restores my soul. Yes. Prayer of a new mom for sure. <laughs> else? <laughs> you all really kind of, what stood out to you is pretty much the highlights, so we could just sing some more songs, and <laughs> that's it. You guys did Got it. it. <laughs> no. uh, there's, there's a lot of context here which adds to it, but here's the good news about scripture and the gospel. There's, there's so many levels of meaning and the way that God can dynamically interact with us. It's the living word, the living God, the same spirit that inspired this psalm inspires our reading, understanding, and living it out today. Um, so even though we're going to share a few things that stand out to us, even just that right there is worship and learning and a sermon. You guys preached the first sermon this morning, so well done. We'll highlight a few things about the context. Uh, as you know, Andy and I got to go to Israel, and we got to uh, visit Bethlehem and the fields right outside Bethlehem. They called the shepherd fields where David, you know, somewhere would have uh, cared for his flock of sheep. And that was pretty amazing to us. It's also the field where the shepherds would have heard uh, the announcement about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And so just to look over this field and to read the psalm gives it a whole new dimension of meaning for us. And that first line that the Lord is our shepherd in the context, even that is really, really significant. It says that Psalm 23 is the psalm of David, King David, uh, at that point Israel's greatest king. And it's deliberate that he chose shepherd. Now, old, the shepherd in the Old Testament was a significant image of God, but it wasn't necessarily the primary 
image of God. For example, in Psalm 18, uh, the psalmist describes uh, God as a rock, a fortress, a shield, a horn of salvation, a stronghold. And all of those are true. But David, as a shepherd himself, a role, he was the, the kind of the runt of the family before he was anointed as, as the next king, to be the next king of Israel. It's the job that no one wanted to do. The religious kind of establishment at any age, the Old Testament would have definitely looked down at that job because there's not like a day off when you're shepherding sheep. So you can't necessarily practice the Sabbath like everyone else. and You can't follow the religious rituals like everyone else. And so you have all these uh, parts of shepherding that weren't necessarily glamorous. And not to offend anyone here, but you can imagine, uh, sheep were not considered a noble animal per se. Were they necessary? Yes. Did shepherds love their sheep? Were they a part of society? Of course. But they were, again, not to offend anyone, they, they weren't smart. <laughs> okay? they, they got lost easily. They were totally defenseless. And when they did get lost, they couldn't save, save themselves at all. So these images, although offensive, they can also be beautiful to us. But the fact that David uses this shepherd that he knows intimately about and this image for God in the Old Testament, that in and itself is very, very significant. And then the Psalms we forget because we study the Psalms. But the Psalms were the original worship book or hymnal book of the Israelites, of God's people, of Jesus, and of Jesus' followers. They were songs. They weren't, they weren't these doctrinal statements meant to be studied and, and dissected and what have you. They were songs to be sung. They were meant to form the people of God, just like they would form us today. Here's an example for you. Think about a song. It could be a song from your childhood. I think they said that most people, their favorite song is when they were in high school, just because it's a formative time. So think about one of your favorite songs. You probably know the lyrics to it, at least most of them, definitely the chorus. When it comes on, the, I guess people don't listen to the radio anymore, but like Spotify, you, you, you're like, oh my gosh, I love this song, you know, and you probably start singing it, and maybe you'll keep singing it in the car or in the shower or whatever. So I'll give you an example of one for me. And then feel free to like dance along or sing along if you know. But every time I hear this song, every time, I can, it just takes me someplace. It changes my mood almost instantly. All right? Okay, ready for the best voice you've never heard? <laughs> because I'm happy camping on if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm clap along if you feel that happiness is the true stuff. Right? Like, you, you know the words to that song, because I'm happy. It just makes you happy. It makes us happy. So you have a song like that. But at the same time, we all have these collective songs. Maybe that's not your favorite song. If I were to sing this, this would take you somewhere. Some of you might sing it later today or this week or sing it yesterday. Happy birthday. Right? Same thing. Christmas carols. Tell me those don't... I mean, the, now, if you hear before Thanksgiving, that might make you mad. But after Thanksgiving, it takes you somewhere because they form us. That's what these songs were meant to do in the life of people. But not just take you somewhere, because in all of our lives, I appreciate the questions that Lindsay gave us, we all are going to go through hardships and things we would rather not at different seasons. It's guaranteed. And if you're like me, I just want to escape them. So I, put, I want to put up a picture of one of the, the best Marvel characters, in my opinion. It's Doctor Strange. You know how Doctor Strange can do this thing where he goes like this, 
and a window, another world opens up. And in our minds, we're like, yes, I want to do that. I want Cabo to be on the other side of that. I want Paris to be on the other side of that, and I just want to go escape there. But what's cool about these Psalms is they're actually inviting us to open the door for God to come into our situations. Even though we want to escape them, which makes sense, it's very human, they're actually an invitation to allow God to, to inhabit our world, even our darkest valley, even if we're going through evil and the worst thing that we can imagine. As Jesus says this in Revelation 3, here I am, I stand at the door and knock at this portal. We have a part to play. It's opening the door. It's an inviting God into our death, brokenness, and darkness. So that's what Psalm 23, that's what it's doing. It's describing this God who is waiting for us to invite God into our world for spiritual, yes, but it's also our bodies, really eternal protection and provision. It's what God wants for us. Even though when we're all experiencing and inhabiting time right now, it is really like a speck of sand at Moonlight Beach. And God is offering us eternal protection and provision in the midst of, of anything. So as we continue a little bit more about the context, um, and I have some people, I need a couple of volunteers, maybe Hunter, Hunter can pass. So there's an image of Jesus, the good shepherd on here. I found this at Kelly Lattimore Icons. It's pretty sweet. And I have some more if anyone needs one. And on the back, you'll notice that this psalm is formatted in kind of a unique way. It's even color-coded, which is kind of cool. Now, the technical term for this, I'm going to tell it to you because in case you look it up on the internet later, you'll be like, man, I know what this is now, which is really fun. Uh, but I'm going to give you uh, a better term, a more theological term for it. So the technical term, it's called the chiasm or uh, inverse parallelism, which is a common type of poetry or song uh, in the Old Testament. Thank you, Hunter. Such a good lad. And basically, in a chiastic structure or an inverse parallel structure, the main point of the song or the main point of the passage is in the middle, not at the end. So it's like a funnel that funnels you to the middle. So we like, we prefer the theological term sandwich. It's very theological. So I have a picture of a sandwich here. So the outside, the, the first couple lines and the last couple lines of the psalm are like the bread. The next couple of passages of the psalm are like the, the spreads or the condiments. Then you have the veggies. And then the middle is the meat. And you can see that there. It all kind of goes towards the middle. And the color coding is, is meant to help with that too. So hopefully that makes sense. So we're just going to highlight a few things about the sandwich. Because as we know more about this song, even as we sing it, it comes into our bones and we seep in it this week or in our lives, the main point will not escape us because it's really important. Not only did David experience it, he wrote it for generations to come for it to be formed in. So this first thing we want to highlight of the bread are they're kind of an orange. It's the top and the bottom. Remember the bread, the part of the sandwich. It highlights something that we can easily be missed because we read that word, the Lord, and it's a very formal word, and we think of, of which is rightly so, fortress, king, shield, all of these important things that are true about God, but we miss something that is in the original text, and that is, it's the personal name for God. So if you look on, you know, Bible Hub, 
Bible.com or Bible study tools, whatever, and you see the Hebrew and they transliterate it into English, it's YHWH. And Jews will not say the personal name from God because it's so sacred. So they, they are allowed to say Jehovah, which are the vowels that are, are in between the personal name for God that you read about in Exodus. So this is the personal name for God. This is significant that we can take for granted that in other places in times, God didn't have these personal relationships, these personal names. And so for God to give his personal name to his people, it's not meant he's meant to stay up in heaven and rule like Zeus, even though that's a lot of our view of God, is that God is like Zeus. God is personal. God comes down to deliver, to save, to walk, to be with his people. So if it helps you, instead of Lord, you can, you can think of Jehovah. In some translations, we actually put that, Jehovah, for the personal name that God gives in Exodus in the Old Testament. So that's the first thing that stands out to us from this passage. Jehovah is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And then that last line, and I will dwell in the house of Jehovah forever. So this personal name for God is describing this sense of home. This sense that our, the place where our deepest longings are met. As Augustine said, Jehovah, my God, oh God, I'm restless until my soul finds its rest in you. All the things that we're driven by, even unconsciously, that we think are going to give us the sense of home, we, all, we partly kind of know they don't deliver what they promise, and yet we also partly keep striving after them, only to be disappointed after disappointment after disappointment. That's the first thing that stands out. The next thing that stands out is these two metaphors he uses for this personal God, Jehovah. The first half, he starts with shepherd. We already talked about that, the significance of that for David. But then about the middle of the psalm, he switches to a host, a parent, this one who cares for us. So he starts with shepherd, very personal. And just like all of you mentioned, uh, a good shepherd, their reputation, their name is on the sake. They're going to provide for their sheep. And as we know from what Jesus says in John 10, even lay their life down for their sheep. That's, that's what's at stake here for the shepherd. The still waters, they will, they will walk all day in the toil of the sun to find still waters. Sheep will not lie down unless they're full and fed and they feel safe because they're in constant threat from predators. The shepherd will protect them. So that's the shepherd metaphor. But then we get this host and this parent metaphor, which is beautiful because we see this in also in Luke 15 where Jesus is describing God and he uses a, God is like a, a father, like a shepherd. God is like a mother in the woman who looks for the coin. And then God is like a parent. So Jesus is using this Old Testament metaphor about God. And I know it's Father's Day which is fantastic. But we can, we, with our view of God, we can, get, uh, we can get tricked into thinking that God has a Y chromosome. God is not a, a sexualized male human. And in the Old Testament, we have these images of God of shepherd. God is also like a mother, and also God is like a father. And we, ha we also see that in this passage. So it's beautiful about how God could care for us like a shepherd, like a mother, like a father. That's great. Yeah, and then we're going to move from the bread 
to the condiments, to the spreads, right? So this next, these next. Ioli, is that how you pronounce it? Ioli, Ioli, I'm sorry. Ioli, that's great. That's a good, that's a good condiment. Um, yes, we're going to go to the Ioli. And uh, that's verses two and three. He guides me along the right paths. Jehovah leads us. It's essence there. And then we're going to come back to the bottom part. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, of our lives. And I think the picture I've had in my, my mind is like, it's like, oh, that's nice. I like that, right? Like, look, two little puppies following me around life, right? God's goodness and love, which is great. And uh, the translation of the Hebrew word follow is stronger than stronger. It's a lot stronger. It actually means pursue. That goodness and love just don't follow us. They are pursuing after us every day of our lives. And what a difference that makes, right? Gives us a, a, um, a vision in terms of God's heart for us. Surely God's goodness and love will pursue us all the days of our life. And so with this in view, the good shepherd not only leads us, but also pursues us with that goodness and love. And one author says it this way, we are well escorted through life with a shepherd in front and the twin angels of goodness and love behind us. Cocooned, yeah? So, okay, we're going to shift, go from the bread to the spreads to the veggies. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. To the, to awesome. The, to the veggies, that's right. To the veggies. Leads us, guides us. Leads us and guides us. Pursues yeah. us. Pursues. And as we keep going to the veggies, we're reminded that God pursues us and leads us even through darkness and evil in our brokenness. Our brokenness of depression, of despair, feelings of inadequacy, not to mention all the physical ailments that we either are, have been, or, or will go through. Um, we just have to live long enough, and we will go through something. And we will experience a death until we have life again. So that is every human being. That's a human experience. Keep dropping my card. And God is still leading us and pursuing us through that. That's really important because I think a lot of us have this idea of God that, one, until I kind of get my act together, I want to say a different word, but I'm not, but, you know, until I get my act together, uh, you know, I, I don't really have a lot to do with God. God doesn't have a lot to do with me. Or, man, my life is not going like I, I, I thought. Uh, my 401k is not going to uh, be enough for when I need it. And um, we have this thing going on in our family. And it's like, no way, no way. How did you let that happen, God? Like, there's no way. Like, what is going on? We, and we have these doubts, and we have this view of God that it's, it's really only in our health, wealth, and prosperity, that that's, that's where we kind of have God's presence. And it's just the opposite, that our God is actually one to like, no, if you're anything like me, in my most broken moments in life, that's when I sense God's presence often the most. Hopefully I have gratitude when things are going well, but when I really have these needs for God, that's when I tend to sense God's presence with me most. And, and to the point where God sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. The primary enemies, by the way, in Scripture are sin, capital sin, and capital death. But we can also experience enemies on this planet, too, of course, and people do every single day. 
And that idea of setting a table, that's, that's the God as mother image. In, in the Old Testament, ancient Near East culture, um, I'm not saying it's supposed to be this now, but back then, only women set tables. That was just, that's, men didn't do that. And so this is clearly depicting like God not only as shepherd and father, but as mother. So pretty amazing. And what I've learned is that our view of God is so key to us trusting God and lying down and following God. It's so key to the point where if we don't trust that God is good and his love is unfailing and he wants the best for us, even in the midst of our brokenness and suffering, then we're not going to follow. I'm not going to follow and you're probably not going to follow. So uh, if you've seen this before, I feel like this is a really good picture and illustration. It's been called the gospel in chairs. Has anyone seen or heard about the gospel in chairs as an illustration? I'm going to show it to you. Now, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Okay, can you repeat that with me? All models are wrong, but some are useful. So am I trying to say a systematic theology on God, Jesus, and the plight of humanity? No, I am not. But is this, is this going to be, hopefully, an illustration that can help you consider how God is pursuing us, even in the midst of our sin, death, and brokenness? Yes, I hope it does. Because this, once I, I saw this for the first time, it really impacted me. All right? And so this first demonstration of the gospel of God's love and humanity's response, I first saw this by a pastor named Brian Zond in Missouri, he took it from uh, an Orthodox tradition and some, some other pastors, but it's a long tradition in other parts of the world and other parts of the church. See if this first one, if you recognize it. If you don't, that's okay. Maybe you've heard it from a friend. This is, when I first received Christ, this is actually the model that I was given. And it's not that everything's wrong in it or even that it's all bad or anything like that, but it's incomplete. And people much smarter than me have said, if you look back in history, where people have gone wrong, the technical word is heretical heresy, it's because they reduced God to control and to simplify, instead of allowing for a little bit of mystery. So this first model of the gospel is, goes something like this. In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. He created people in his image. And he created people, humanity, for a face-to-face -face relationship, because he loved them. But love requires a choice, and so people chose to go their own way. We call that sin and rebellion. People chose to go their own way. God pursued people through prophets, through the tabernacle, tabernacle excuse me, and through the temple. And yet people still rebelled and chose to go their own way. And because of that, God turned his back on people because God is holy and God cannot be next to sin because God is holy. But because God loves humanity, he loves people, he became a person in Jesus. He sent Jesus. Jesus, sorry, Jesus lived a life and God was still turned his back on humanity, but he sent Jesus out of his love. Jesus lived a perfect life he lived holiness, and he taught holiness. And ultimately, he died on the cross to take on the wrath of God. And because Jesus took on the wrath of God, if people would merely repent and turn back to God, then they could have a relationship with God again. Now, that's the version of the gospel that I grew up with and I heard since I was 15. 
Have you heard that version of the gospel before? There's a lot in it that makes sense. And one could make a case that that's the biblical gospel. But you also have a sense in your spirit that there could be something more. That maybe it's missing something. I know for me that's a definite yes. And I enjoy helping people see what's missing. Here's another version, and this one emphasizes something different. See if you can tell the difference. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created people in his own image out of love. And he created people for a face-to-face relationship. But love requires a choice. We have to choose. People chose to go their own way. We call that sin. They turned, we turned our back on God. But because of God's great love for us, God kept pursuing people, kept pursuing people, first with the tabernacle, and then with the prophets, and then with the temple. And although it worked at times, people continued to turn their back on God. But because of God's great love for people, he became a person in Jesus Christ, enfleshed human being. And when Jesus lived on this earth, he had an open invitation that anyone could come to the table that he was preparing for people. In fact, even his staunch opponents, the religious leaders, he gave an invitation, and they turned their back on Jesus and went their own way. Even his own disciples that walked with him, he loved them, gave them an invitation, and they betrayed him. He took on the anger of humanity on the cross. It took on the wrath of people. And he died. But because the power of God and the love of God is more powerful than our enemies, sin and death, Jesus made it possible for us to turn and to see a loving God who has always been pursuing us we would just see that love of God who's always been pursuing us. That's the gospel in chairs. Do you notice a difference? What do you notice? Pursuit. God always has been pursuing. God has never turned his back on humanity for no reason. What else do you notice? Yes. Relationship. It's about the relationship. Anything else? You got it. You got it. That's our next point. But Josiah, would you like to share too? Yeah, we're not going to take a seat without the support of the chair. That's right. You nailed it. I'm going to say, I'm going to repeat that in just a moment because that's going to segue Lindsay to, the, to the, our final point today. But that, that's it. The, the gospel is never meant to pit Jesus and God. <laughs> Jesus is God. Yes, there's mystery in that union where Jesus becomes a person. Yes, there's mystery to that. But Jesus in Colossians was a part of creation. Jesus is God. The mystery of the Trinity. The cross didn't cause God to change our mind about him. Sorry, the cross didn't cause God to change God's mind about us. The cross reveals who God is and allows us to change our mind about God. There's a big difference. 
And another way of saying it is, the cross isn't something that God did, it's who God is, because God pursues us in love. So that is the gospel in chairs, and thank you for your great point. The beautiful about Christ Jesus, the good shepherd who always lays down his life for his sheep, always, every single time, never not once, lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd allows God not only to be with us, but within us. If these chairs would go down, you'd see what I mean, but you know what I mean. God is with us and now within us. Yes. For strong people. It's great. Yes. So good. God with us, God in us, God before us, God behind us. Um, Our last part of the sandwich is the meat. Verse 4, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And the word evil here is adversity. I will fear no adversity, for God is with us no matter what we face. In Jesus' final, final words before he ascended up into heaven, he said, surely I will be with you always. I will be with you in every part of your life, which speaks to the triune God, the Holy Spirit. The triune God is with you in the midst of a diagnosis for, a, for yourself or someone you love. The triune God is with you in the midst of marriage, trans, tra, marriage tra, challenges, in the midst of looking for a job. God is with you in the midst of losing a job. God is with you in relational challenges. God is with you in the midst of caring and raising children, in difficult situations at work, in the midst of doubts. And to take it a step further, many times we experience the withness of God through the witness of others, right? It's that moment when we notice our hearts are full because we're with someone we love or people we love and we feel their companionship. It's that moment when we get a text, a phone call, or a meal just at the right time. And it's those moments when we might feel seen by another, someone shows us compassion, or when someone helps us when we are having trouble finding our way. For me, um, recently, it's, it's um, when, when I'm feeling some insecurity financially, it's reminding myself that there has been enough. There has been enough, and that I'm held in God's spiritual provision. And it's seeing people's eyes get watery when I tell them that my dad was recently diagnosed with ALS, right? It's the compassionate withness of God through others. And at the end of the day, the spiritual protection, provision, and the promised presence of Psalm 23 invites us in a movement of grace of being held captive by fear to being held by love. And so we're going to invite you to just do some reflection as we've explored Psalm 23 together uh, this morning. Some personal reflection and then just some brief share time. Those are some questions. You can choose one or some or none. Uh, But what stands out to you from this time of exploring Psalm 23? How might that intersect with your life? Is there an invitation you sense from God today? Or how does this passage encourage you to face the future. So I'm just give about 30 seconds just to kind of maybe sit with one of those for a moment. Yeah. And then um, if you'd be willing to partner up or get in triads, introduce yourself and share what you want. You choose your level of vulnerability here. Something maybe that stuck out to you from this passage or Is there something in this that encourages you to face the future? 
So um, go ahead and pair or share, and, um, and then we'll close with a blessing, and then we'll move into some worship. So. All right. Uh, we, love, we love interrupting. I know it's weird to say, but that just means uh, you're having really good conversations. We encourage you to continue these conversations after um, this week. And that's uh, a, a good thing to, to want to share more. And so we encourage you to keep, to keep sharing that. And as we pray and, and conclude in, in continuing our worship this morning, as you reflect on this passage this week and consider the provision that you're already experiencing, gra- gratitude is our response. Worship, praise, gratitude, of course. But a lot of times when we want to really see God's invitations for healing and deliverance and experiencing the rest of the psalm, the saying that we like to use, it's not a fun phrase, follow the fear. Follow the anxiety. Follow the worry. That's where God wants to meet us. And just a reminder, it's really hard to follow a God we don't fully trust. And all of us have a gap between our head theology. Yeah, of course we trust God. But then how we're kind of living our lives. And we we live our lives in what we really trust. That's just a fact of being human. And that's part of the spiritual pilgrimage that we're all on. But one of the things that Andy and I were taught, and he put it in an Instagram post this week. I loved it. Uh, we're reminded that the rod is not for us. It's a club. It's a, it's a skull crusher. A lot of people were taught or think that that's what kind of God is waiting to do. That's not for us. That's for the enemy. That's for the fear. That's for the worry. That's for capital sin and capital death. That's what that rod is for. The staff is for us. It guides us in all of these places that we were meant to be provided for. That's what the staff is for. The rod and the staff. That's why they can both comfort. Isn't that amazing? That's the key. Why would a rod comfort if it's meant for us? It wouldn't, trust me. It would scare us. And you may not be scared of God, but there could be an area of your soul that is scared of God. So consider the gospel of chairs as an alternative way of understanding God's love, salvation, and provision because we cannot save ourselves. They're both right about that. So I'm going to close, I invite you by standing, and I'm going to close with a prayer of Psalm 23 over you as the, um, as Alicia, they join the stage. And um, yeah, just as a closing way to kind of depth and sink into these words even more. So let me pray this over us and over you. The Lord is your shepherd. Because of this, because this is so, you lack nothing. May you receive Jehovah's invitation to lie down in green pastures and be led beside quiet waters. May you sense God refreshing your soul and guiding you along the right paths. Even when you walk through valleys of uncertainty, may you not fear adversity, for God is with you. God's rod and staff are there to comfort you. God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. God anoints your head with oil and your cup overflows. May you be secure knowing God's goodness and love is pursuing you every day of your life. And may you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.